beautiful words and beautiful thoughts that come from, from the Word of God about, about the graciousness of God. And that's, that's, really, that's really what we are, uh, are thinking through, that is what we are celebrating, that is what draws us here together today. It is the grace of an awesome God. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there to Luke chapter 5, we will look at Luke 5 in just a moment as we reflect on what that word has to say about what we've already prayed and what we've already been singing. As you're turning there, let me just welcome those of you who are guests. I've met several of you already this morning. We're honored that you're here. Uh, maybe you're not a guest. Maybe you've been here a long time. We're glad you're here as well. It's just gr we're grateful that we have an opportunity to be here and to, to worship like this together. I do want to recognize one special family who's visiting with us today, the Karelsi family right here. Uh, Josiah Karelsi and his family are here with us. Josiah recently enrolled over at Heritage uh, in the Florence area, and he will be uh, teaching Bible class in the Bridge Builders class today and talking about uh, some of the things that, that he's seen in his growing up in South Africa, but also some things that God's put on his heart now as he trains to uh, share the good news of Jesus with others. And so we want to make you aware of that. And he'll also be here tonight speaking at our 5 p.m. service as well. Uh, if you happen to be a guest, let me just also remind you here in about two weeks, we have our, our Friends Day. And we would love for you to come and be a part of that. We can tell you all about that. And there's details in the bulletin as well. But we'd love for you uh, to come and be a part of that day with us as well in, in two weeks. Untouchable. It's estimated that as many as 240 million people in India are part of the lowest Hindu caste called the Dalits, or more pejoratively, called the Untouchables. Although India's national constitution of 1950 attempted to abolish the caste discrimination uh, and, and provide more protection for those at the bottom of that caste system, the Untouchables still face widespread discrimination in India. For generations, uh, the untouchables have been considered to be essentially non-human. They're believed to be unclean at birth. And the name Dalit means crushed. It means broken. And it is, unfortunately, a, a fitting name. Since they were the lowest social group, the Dalits have historically performed what was considered to be the, the spiritually contaminating work that others didn't want to do. Things like preparing bodies for funerals, or killing rats, or as this gentleman is doing, working in the local sewer. Many of the untouchables oftentimes end up dealing with dead cattle. And under both the Hindu and, and Buddhist belief systems, Jobs that involve death actually corrupt the workers' souls and make them unfit to mingle with others. So for many generations, these untouchables were not allowed access to places that others could freely access. Places like temples, public water wells, even something as ordinary as the local barber shop. The Dalits were not allowed there. And in modern times, if the shadow of an untouchable actually fell upon a member of the upper caste, then that person would immediately need to go home and bathe themselves and wash their clothes. Anyone accidentally touched by an untouchable was considered tainted. And although the, the social conditions in India have improved somewhat in recent years, Caste discrimination 
still a present-day reality for many untouchables. It's not uncommon for Dalits to be beaten, to be raped, to be killed in some rural parts of modern India. Maybe even more troubling, many Dalit children are often kidnapped and sold into a life of sex slavery without much societal interest in bringing their perpetrators to justice. Can you imagine what it would do to your sense of self to be considered untouchable from the day you were born? Most of us don't have a category for this, but, but can you imagine what it would be like to be denied such basic human dignity? To be told that, that you are so contaminated that your very presence could make others unclean. With all that in mind, I, I want you to hear this particular story that the Spirit has for us from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. This is God's word. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and, and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. This is the word of the Lord. The same story is found in Matthew and in Mark. So we're left with this conclusion that this must have been a, a pretty important teaching in the life of the early church. And Luke tells us that this man was covered with leprosy. And so when he does that, he uses a word that means full, a word that means complete. So, so this man's flesh, we could say, is filled up with leprosy. It leaves me with the conclusion that this man might be very well near death. In the ancient world, a man like this, a, a leper, would have been considered an untouchable also. Now, we, we believe ancient leprosy uh, was a much broader category than the disease we refer to today as Hansen's disease. Uh, it seems as if leprosy in the Bible is kind of a shorthand way of referring to a variety of infectious diseases. It wasn't just a disease of the skin, but more importantly than that, even it affected your, your nervous system as well. So, so a, a leper uh, would have these, these massive tumor-sized growths all over the body. The skin might begin to, to rot in certain places, but, but also just as, uh, just as important, that leper would oftentimes lose the sensation in their, their digits, in their, in their body. Uh, that one of the stories would be, you know, a, a leper might be holding something uh, that, that's burning, but he wouldn't be able, he or she wouldn't be able to feel that because they've lost the ability to feel maybe even pain 
in their body. So, so much like the Dalits in India, much like those untouchables in India, ancient lepers were shunned because they were considered impure, because they were considered unclean. Lepers were people on the margins. They were excluded from, from normal societal life. Listen to this passage from Leviticus 13 that talks about lepers. It says, the person with such an infectious disease, with leprosy, must wear torn clothes, must let his hair be unkempt, must cover the lower part of his face, and must cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has this infection, he remains unclean, it says. And he must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So this, this command comes from God. God is the one who issues this command, this teaching, this word of, of quarantine. But, but the reason is, is, is fairly obvious, I would think. Leprosy is a highly contagious disease. So, so this command, this quarantine, this exile is a way of keeping that leprosy from spreading to others, right? I mean, just it's kind of understandable. But we find here in Luke's story a leper who is violating that command, that law of isolation. He violates that by approaching Jesus. And perhaps this is, is evidence of his desperation. Again, his flesh is filled up with leprosy, Luke says, and I, I just think that means he's probably near death. So it might be a sign of his desperation that he breaks that law, but I think we should also hear it this way. We should also see this as an action of faith. That this, this leper has a believing conviction that Jesus can heal him. In fact, if you go back and read the story again, go back and look at that text, you'll see that's not even the question that's in the leper's mind at all, right? I mean, he's not wondering if Jesus can heal him. Rather, his question is, he wonders if, if Jesus will. Look at it again. He says, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. If you're willing, I know you can do this. Luke says he falls on his face. After years of, of being an untouchable, it's as if he can't even bring himself to making eye contact with Jesus. And so he falls down, and, and rather than speaking face to face with Jesus, I picture him kind of talking to the feet of Jesus. He's bowed down, he's looking at it, he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper isn't certain that Jesus will be willing to heal someone who's ritually unclean, someone who is excluded like like he is from society. He isn't certain that Jesus is willing to heal an untouchable. And I wonder how many of us are filled with that same uncertainty. But listen again to these words of grace in verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I'm willing be clean and immediately the leprosy left him jesus touches the man before he heals him just let that let that sink in and not only is jesus willing to heal him i mean that's kind of the question in place so jesus said not only am i willing to heal you but before that the first move is he says i'm willing to touch you He's willing to embrace. 
And I find that so interesting. Jesus could have healed this man with a word, right? Well, we know Jesus has that power. He's done it before. So he could have just spoken the word and, and it would have happened. But that's not what takes place here. Instead, he, he reaches out and he touches him first. Can you imagine the last time someone dared to touch this man? I mean, I'm speculating. I don't know. But it could have been years, maybe even decades since he last felt human touch. Again, his leprosy is filled, uh, his, his flesh is filled up, it says, with leprosy. So when was the last time someone touched him? Maybe it was a, a tearful hug from his mother. Or, or maybe it was one final embrace from his daughter before he was, he was forced to leave the camp and go out into the wilderness and live in the leper commune. Who knows how long he'd live without human touch until Jesus. Jesus doesn't consider this man to be untouchable. Because in the eyes of Jesus, there are no untouchables. So Jesus isn't worried about contamination. Jesus isn't worried about ritual defilement. Jesus isn't worried about social norms, right? He sees this man begging to be healed, and Jesus responds with compassion by touching him. And I suspect that some of us feel untouchable from time to time because of our sin. For some of us, I suspect that guilt has warped our sense of self to the point that we, like this leper, wonder if Jesus really is willing to touch an untouchable like me. I think there's some of us who need to hear this word. But there's also this, kind of the, the next part that I find really interesting. That Jesus then tells him to go and to present himself to the priest of all people, in order that the sacrifice might be made for the healing of leprosy. By the first century, Judaism had developed a list of, of these major signs that would be uh, uh, indications that the Messiah had truly come, things that the Messiah was going to do when he arrived. This is how we'll know someone is the Messiah. And healing a leper was on that short list. It was proof that this individual would be, in fact, the Messiah. And so if you look at Leviticus chapter 14, I know that's your favorite chapter in all the Bible, right? Uh, if you look at Leviticus chapter 14, you'll see that it contains a very specific chain of, of instructions there for what the priests were supposed to do in the event that someone was healed of leprosy. And so Jesus sends this man to the priest, and he says right there, he says, go present yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded in parentheses, in Leviticus 14. And then he says this, you're, you're doing this as a testimony to them. Well, who is them? I think the them very clearly refers to the priests. There are 116 verses devoted to the topic of leprosy in the book of Leviticus. Probably one of the reasons we don't read it very often, to be honest with you. Uh, there's no other disease that receives this kind of treatment in the law of Moses. 
But if you read through those 116 verses, you'll see that only a priest, this is, this is important, only a priest had the authority to declare someone a leper. Hmm. If you read through Leviticus 14, you'll see that Moses provides all these details of, of what the priesthood needed to do when a Jew was, was healed of leprosy. But here's the interesting part, okay? It seems as if the priests never had an opportunity to put all those teachings in Leviticus 14 into effect because from the time the law is completed, from the time that Deuteronomy is kind of like closed canon and it is all considered law, from the time that the Old Testament law was completed, there is no record in the Old Testament of a Jew ever having been healed of leprosy. There are three Israelites mentioned in the Old Testament who, who were struck with leprosy as divine judgment. One is Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. You read about uh, her episode there in Numbers chapter 12. One is Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. You can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 5. And the third is Azariah, who is the king of Judah. And you can read about him in 2 Kings 15. Of those three, only Miriam recovered from her leprosy. But again, that was prior to the Old Testament law being completed. And besides that, her case seems to be sort of a special deal because God gives it to her and then he, he takes it away and she's only, she has to be outside the camp for seven days. So it was like a, a week-long version of leprosy, uh, apparently. The most memorable healing of a leper in, in the Bible, and certainly in the Old Testament, some of you are probably thinking about him, it was Naaman. You read about him in 2 Kings chapter 5, all right? But Naaman was not an Israelite. Naaman was from Syria. And the reason that's important is because his healing wouldn't have required the priests to carry out the commands that you read about there in Leviticus chapter 14. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 4, he says, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And that's when everything just erupts in the home church synagogue of Nazareth when Jesus says that. So again, up until the time of Jesus, there was no record of any Jew ever having been healed of leprosy and making an appearance before the priests to fulfill what was commanded in Leviticus chapter 14. Once the priest declared you to be a leper, that was it. You didn't come back from that. Apparently they wrote you off. Leviticus 13, if you go back and read it, it says, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. But it seems as if the priests were kind of planned by a different set of rules. Apparently their command was, once he has the infection, he remains unclean forever. The reason this is important is, it seems that the priests didn't even hold open the possibility that God could bring healing to these poor souls. So in India, once a Dalit, always a Dalit. And in ancient Israel, once a leper, always a leper. Apparently. Here's why this is important. What we have here is more than a story of Jesus having compassion on a man with leprosy. It certainly is that, but it's so much more than that. This is also a declaration of his messianic identity. Because Jesus sends this man to the priest. He sends this man to present himself before the, the priest as a testimony to them to the priests. 
By the end of those eight days of cleansing rituals prescribed in Leviticus chapter 14, those priests would have no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth was the true Messiah. And I can't help but wonder if that testimony eventually led some to a place of faith. Because Luke then records in Acts chapter 6 that the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and this, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In sending the healed leper to the priests, Jesus is doing a couple of things. He's sending a message to the religious establishment that the Messiah is here. But he also seems to be sending an advance warning along the lines of what God would later say in Acts chapter 10 to Simon Peter. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He sends the healed leper back to the very people who previously declared him to be unclean letting them see that Jesus had, in fact, healed him. And with this testimony, there is this also, the hope that the priests themselves might be healed as well. And so what we're left with is, is grace. There's undeniable grace that Jesus extends to this untouchable leper. And I find that to be a powerful word. Because there have been plenty of times in my life when the reality of my sin has caused me to think of myself as an untouchable. And so this is a, a word for those of us whose, whose sense of self has been warped by guilt, by the spiritual stockade. For those who quietly wonder, is Jesus really willing to touch an untouchable like me? And if that's your question, I hope that you'll see Jesus embracing that untouchable leper. But even more than that, I hope you'll see Jesus embracing you. And I hope you'll hear the leper's words in your own voice. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I hope you would hear his reply and experience the power of his healing grace toward you today. I am willing. Be clean. So there's grace for the untouchable. But there is also the unexpected grace extended to the priests. Again, in sending the healed leper back to them, Jesus demonstrates exceeding grace toward the very ones who deemed this man untouchable in the first place. And I find a powerful, powerful word here as well. Because there have been plenty of times in my life when I've done the same thing. When I've written people off. When I've quietly shunned those that I have determined to be untouchable and impure and unclean. The ones I have considered to be ineligible for God's healing grace. Once an untouchable, always an untouchable. I've lived by those words. But these are the very ones that Jesus embraces, and he sends them back clean as a testimony to me 
and I believe as a testimony to us. With Jesus, there is grace for both leper and priest, right? With Jesus, there are no untouchables. Today, I'd like to close uh, with a word of prayer. But I'd like to ask you to stand with me as we pray. So if we could do that. But not only that, I would like to ask you to do this. As we pray, I would like to ask you to touch someone. I would like to ask you to put your arm on the shoulder of someone near you. I'd like to ask you to lock hands with someone. I'd, I'd even invite you to go across the aisle and reach across if there's someone that, that you want to just put an arm around, someone you need to be with. I would invite you to do this as well. There may be someone in this room right now that you know needs that touch. Someone that you know who is hurting, someone you know whose, whose burden is, is heavy with guilt and sin. They may be a leper, they may be a priest. You may need to leave your seat and go find them in this room. Please know you have permission to, to do that. And while we're, we're praying and while we are embracing, the hope is that this would symbolize the fact that with Jesus there are no untouchables. And that no one in this room is off limits from the grace of God from the healing of his touch. With that in mind, I'd like for us to, to pray together. Would you bow? To you, O oh Lord, we lift up our souls. We give thanks today for your good and your love endures forever. We come to you today as lepers with flesh that is filled up with impurities. We come with flesh marked by sin, flesh made impure by our own unholy desires. Father, we know that sin does not lead to flourishing, but to enslavement, and yet we sin nonetheless. We fill up this flesh with anger and lust, with greed and gossip, with jealousy and idolatry. And because of these sins and countless others, we feel untouchable. Because of these sins and countless others, we turn to you today in repentance. And we come to you today as priests, guilty of passing judgment on those we have deemed untouchable and unclean and impure. At times, we have tied up heavy loads and put them on the backs of those we determine to be beneath us. At times, we have been guilty of spiritual pride. At times we have allowed our judgment to usurp your judgment. We're reminded of those words that you spoke to our brother Simon Peter. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Because of these sins and countless others, we turn to you today in repentance. And here, Father, we find your grace. Grace for both lepers and priests. Grace that makes us whole. Grace that redeems and restores. Grace that seeks not only to heal, but also to embrace. As we embrace one another, Lord, may you wrap your arms around us. For we are your children, 
They're the people of your pasture. We look to you and you alone, O oh God. Thank you, Father, for the grace you extend to us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. As we're standing, we're going to sing our song of invitation. If you need to respond to the overflowing grace of Jesus Christ in any way, I hope you'll do that. Let's sing this song together.